All right, Philippians in chapter 1. We've been looking at the prayers of Paul as recorded in his letters, and we may also look in the book of Acts. But I want to look at uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. And this is a prayer that he opens up with right after his introduction in the book. And I think it's a good prayer for us to consider tonight. So let's look at this. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Father, we are thankful for this prayer here that is recorded for us. Ask now, Lord, as we look at it tonight, that it would be more than just a an academic exercise, but an exercise of our hearts, and that, Lord, we truly would desire to um, fulfill what is said here, and that this would be our prayer, Lord, even tonight. And so teach us now, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You have here, again, the, the topic of prayer. We've been looking at that, and in some ways I feel uh, uh, like... You could exhaust this in a very simple way. I mean, just a child can pray and prays in great faith often. Uh, or you can look at you know, the deep prayers of people that have uh, you know, gone before us or even the ones now that have written out their prayers and they leave those things behind and all of that. But I guess that's the way you come to prayer sometimes. Uh, uh, and when the disciples talked to Jesus, they just said, uh, teach us to pray. And, and he did. And I have found that uh, when I have made that my simple prayer request and asked God, teach me to pray, he gives me that opportunity. And he'd say, well, you're a pastor, you should know how to pray, right? Well, I'm still learning, okay? And there's days I don't know what to pray uh, and, or how to pray for a certain situation or person or in regards to that. And he does teach us. And I remember years ago, I made that as a prayer request uh, in my own life. I said, I want to I want to learn more about prayer this year. And immediately a guy gave me opportunity to lead a prayer group that following year, uh, Mr. Booker at, at Bible school. And it was that right after I prayed that I went into and he met with me and he said, I want you to lead a prayer group. And I said, oh, now the Lord's taking me up on it. So I better, better do that. But I, I can say this, that it's not so much the words that we say, but the attitudes that come out of it. And the actions that come out of our prayers and that's part of it uh, as i said that you know someone who's walked with the lord a long time they can pray uh, and you can learn something from them as you pray with them but you can also learn a lot from a child and i was reading the um, anecdotes of prayer of, of d.l moody illustrations that he had written out things he had come across in his own life and I was thinking of this one in regards, because Roger and I talked earlier this morning, and, and he's had this prayer request on his heart about his house. I mean, he got a letter last week, said he's got to be out. They've condemned the building. And uh, I don't know how you'd feel if you got something like that in the mail. Uh, maybe you've had that happen to you before, but that's not, a, that's not a pleasant newsletter, you know, that comes. And I know there's been a lot of stress on that. And that's, that's not a unique thing. It's happened to people all along. People have been displaced or whatever. But God certainly has his eye on that. D.L. Moody talked about, remembering, he said, talking about a child that lived with, his, uh, with her parents in a, in a small town. And he didn't say what town it was. But one day the news came that her uh, father had joined the army. 
and there was a time of war, so he went off to war. And a few days after that, the landlord came to demand the rent, and the little girl's mom didn't have the rent, didn't have any money really at all at that time. And the, the woman explained that to the landlord, and, but he was a very hard-hearted wretch. That's what D.L. Moody described him as. And he's, uh, he basically uh, stomped and stormed around the house, and he said, you must leave. I am not going to have people who can't pay the rent living in my house. And so after he was gone, the mother threw herself down into her armchair and she began to weep. And the little girl came up to her and, and the little girl that she had taught to pray. And the little girl said, Mama, what's the, what's the matter? And, and mother went on to explain the situation that they were in. And father was gone and there was no money and the landlord wants us out of this place. And so the little girl said, well, I'll go pray about that. And so she did. She went into the next room and the door was open and the, the mother listened to her. The little girl said, oh God, you have come and taken away father. And mama has got no money. And the landlord will turn us out because we can't pay. And we will have to sit on the doorstep and mama will catch a cold. Give us a little home. Well, it wasn't long after that 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 same landlord who had such a hard heart came back and he had a change of heart. And he knocked on the door. And, and by the way, that little girl came out of that room just as expectant as ever that, that her prayer, prayer would be answered. And the landlord came back and he said, so long as you live here and you can't pay the rent, he said, I'll, I'll be okay with that. And he said, you can still live here. And it was a total change of heart. And, and sometimes we just... You know, we, we're faced with those kind of impossible situations. And we could learn a lot from a little child that just goes out and prays in faith and asks God to, to work a great work in that. You see what Paul says here in verse 9 of chapter 1 of Philippians. He says, In this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. And there's a direct prayer request here that Paul has for the Philippians. Now last week we were in the book of Ephesians and and there were some similarities to the things but when we one common thing that keeps coming back is that when Paul prayed for believers for people he didn't pray to make them more comfortable or pray to make them more prosperous in this world but he would pray to make them more spiritual. In this he's talking about more knowledge. The knowledge there is the knowledge of Christ. Uh, discernment boy that's a good thing to pray for and too often we pray for something but we pray amiss wanting to consume it with our own passions and lusts instead of praying in discernment and asking those things we're going to talk a little bit about some of that and really we also don't aim high enough in our prayers sometimes we think oh, god can't answer a prayer like the landlords come in and says you get out you know well, guess what? He can answer that. And he can answer it almost immediately. Uh, he can do those kind of things, and he does. And even if a Christian finds themselves turned away from a home, he, God's going to still take care of them one way or the other. Uh, he, he leads them and goes with them. Ultimately, we'll head to, the, to be with the Lord in that. We have here really what Paul pours his heart out for the Philippian believers and you can remember when Paul was at Philippi, of course, that was an exciting time. Uh, and Philippi and the church at Philippi began with prayer. 
Uh, it, it began probably before the actual visit there to Philippi, but you remember Paul goes there and you read of it in Acts chapter 16, and he goes to a place where prayers were made. And he meets there a woman named Lydia. And there Lydia uh, is ready. You know, here's, here's a woman that's praying, but she wasn't yet a believer. And that brings you know, us to another whole point, that there's lots of people out there that pray. Uh, before I was a believer, I prayed. I didn't really know what I was praying or necessarily feel like I was directing it towards heaven or anything. But there are people that sincerely pray out there, and they may pray to you know, a statue of Buddha. They may pray for other things or whatever. They pray amiss. But the neat thing is, is that God, although he not, he's not obliged to hear the prayer of an unsaved person, he is a God that hears. And he's a God that understands. And he's a God that is able to even answer the prayers of unsaved people. And I do believe this, that there are times where people even, I don't know what Lydia was praying or how she was praying, um, but she was a woman that was out there and she was in a place where prayer was being made. And that's where Paul, you know, makes first contact. Her household gets saved and then you know, he ends up in jail after that demon-possessed slave girl gets saved. And then he ends up at the Philippian jailer's house after that man gets saved. And, you know, the church starts. Starts in great turmoil. He doesn't go back and pray and say, well, I, I pray that the Lord would keep you all, you know, comfortable and, and out of persecution all that. I mean, that's exactly how the church starts in Philippi. And so he writes this wonderful letter about joy and it is considered one of the prison epistles because it is a, a letter that Paul wrote while he was under house, house arrest. So he, he himself had his liberties stripped away during that time. And yet he writes this wonderful book. But in the, right in the beginning, the first chapter, he starts with a prayer. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. And, and uh, you see here the... Uh, the prayer really is that you would abound, all right? That in, in the picture of the Greek word for abound means to f- overflow. Kind of picture a cup that's being filled up with water, and you get to the top, and, and if you keep going, what happens, right? The, the water just flows over, and it goes somewhere. Well, the love of Christ and the love that a believer has is the same kind of uh, analogies that, that, you know, it can overflow, and when it overflows, it's just like water. When it goes too much water, guess what? Things get wet. Guess what? When the love of Christ overflows the life of a believer, it also affects people. And it affects them in the way it should, right? And we see that. I was watching a video the other day of an outdoor evangelist, um, and he was, he was street preaching. Uh, neat kind of way he was doing it. It was very confrontational. I think it offended. He was on a college campus, and there were some students greatly offended. And a girl who, in my opinion, was very self righteous, came up and she started talking to him and lambasting him, you know, just by saying, uh, you know, saying uh, that Christians don't do enough, and they blah blah, and you know, went on about different things that Christians don't do, and. And the man said, you know, you're right. He said, I, I don't do enough. I, have, I do not feed enough homeless people. I, I have not adopted uh, enough orphans. I haven't, you know, built homeless shelters or helped a homeless man. But he said, he I looked at her and he said, but have you do, done that? You know, because he said Christians are doing those things. 
And he was just kind of turning it back on her for a little bit. And, and it, I could tell it made her uncomfortable because she was accusing him of not doing things, or Christians in general of not doing things, but realizing that it is actually Christians that do a lot of those things. And generally, the outcasts of society are left to, to people of faith to reach out. Not only people of faith, but that is the case many times. And um, I was thinking of that because sometimes, and he, he turned his you know the, the evangelist i i like him because although he was confrontational in his preaching as he was kind of sharing that way he uh, as soon as he began talking to somebody he really toned it down and he went one-on-one with them in a very polite kind way and you could tell the whole situation was deflected at that point and they became you know more of a serious conversation even though the other person was kind of aggressive with him and stuff and i thought yeah turn it around and show the love of christ uh, and he did in, in, in a lot of ways. Anyways, I'm, I'm off track a little bit here, but I, what I was getting at is that sometimes we, we don't aim high enough. We don't just say, Lord, you know, give me a little bit of a better relationship with my neighbor. But no, teach me to love my neighbor. Teach me to love my husband, my wife, my roommate, whatever. You know, somebody teach me to love them as I should. Somebody in the church, perhaps, that rubs you the wrong way uh, in those ways. And once we get that, knowledge of that and and it really goes in the heart um you know it it really it should direct us in that way and i think for the christian it shouldn't be just mediocre prayer life but we should be aiming high and aiming higher improving in our whole attitude of prayer Uh, i was thinking that in the context of uh, recruitment you know back in uh well over my lifetime the military branches in the United States have had different sayings and slogans. Some of them have endured for generations. Some come and go as advertising campaigns go. But I remember uh, growing up and the army was, be all you can be, you know. Hey, that sounds like, you know, go out and really challenge yourself. Be all you can be. Um, the Navy had one. It's not just a job. It's an adventure, right? Sounds like, wow, I'm going out. I'm going to, you know, do more than just a job like everybody else, right? And they had some other ones. Uh, the Marines, right? Semper Fidelis has been the, the slogan all along, for a long time anyways, but meaning always faithful. And that really tells you something uh, about them. But then they had some things like the few, the proud, the Marines. Marines that's right. And, you know, again, you get a kind of a mission statement. The few, the proud, the Marines. By the way, you can always tell a Marine. You just can't tell him much. So, no, sorry, I had to. I had to get that in there. That's all right. Then the Air Force, right? And the Air Force is, uh, they had the aim high, right? Or uh, other, they had other things too as well on that. And uh, the Coast Guard was Semper Paradis, which is always prepared. And uh, that's their statement or, or their motto. But I, as I look at that, I'm thinking, we ought to adopt that kind of mentality in our prayer life. Um. Semper Fidelis, are you always faithful to the Lord in your prayers and in praying in general? No, I mean, honestly, I I fall short there. There's days I think, I'm just too busy, I don't have time to stop, I can't do this, and I I hit the floor running, and and you wonder why the day goes so poorly, (laughs) and why you have no time for people, and why you come home just grumpy, right? Of course, that never happens to me, thinking of someone else, but you know... But that that kind of stuff, or if we said, um, aim high, right? 
am I really, my prayers going towards God or are they more directed to me? I mean, because we like to sometimes say, what about me and all the things around me? I think we really need to do what Paul does here, and we'll get to this, but he, he has a, uh, a doxology attached to this, uh, uh, like glorifying God in our prayer life and doing that. It's not just a job, it's an adventure. I could say this, it's not just a task or your duty, but it's a, it's a whole way of life. You know, when you go to prayer and you come out of that room just like that little girl who came out of that room and you just expect God's going to show up and do it. That's exciting. And it's exciting to live that way because he does. And he delights in that kind of stuff. And, you know, uh, in, in reality, God's still looking for a few good men, a few good women, right, that are, are going to do that. Well, there are three requests that Paul has here. First one we've already kind of touched on, but he says uh, abounding love. And I said that's the picture of an overflowing cup. First uh, Corinthians, remember chapter 13, says this, And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. And of course that chapter focuses on that, that fruit that is the fruit of the Spirit. But the greatest is love. And I'm not talking about the wishy-washy kind of just puppy love. That not that sometimes people have that kind of thought about that's the way Christian life is, and it isn't. It's an unconditional kind of sacrificial love that is a giving kind of love, and that's why in the old English it's charity. You know, they use the word charity, which is a word for giving love, <laughs> and we've kind of maybe gotten away from the true meaning of what charity is about. Uh, and, and that's what the love of Christ does. It allows a Christian who knows him and is plugged into him to give sacrificially in all their efforts, uh, whether it's through material things or their goals and dreams and lives and, and all of that. I, I said time and time again, I have been so privileged over my life to have met people that have just done some really neat things, you know? And they've done it without man's applause. And some of them... I was talking to Dave Doherty yesterday. And he doesn't get on the internet much, so he won't hear this, so I can talk about him. But uh, he's been 31 years at MBBI. He just finished his 31st year teaching there. I got to know the man as, a, as one of my teachers back 30 years ago, well, 25 years ago when I was there. I graduated 25 years ago. And he, he was a great, fantastic teacher, diligent man, mind for details, that I've, I've met very few people that have a mind like his. And there's no doubt he could teach somewhere where he would make a lot more money. Uh, he could probably teach on topics that are far more, you know, would get far more interest in the world and stuff than theology. And yet I think it's the most important thing he's ever done. He sits in a little office that isn't, doesn't even have a window in it. And he's been there for 31 years. And um, he tells me when I call him, he says, I pray for you every day. And he does. He prays for me every day. Prays for my family. And I'm thankful for him, you know. And I, I, it makes me, I think of that because that man has shown the love of Christ to me. And it abounds and it does that. And that is the sacrifice that sometimes it requires of sitting in a windowless office for hours on end every day in and out for 31 years. 
and having trained a lot of people. And there are days when I'm going through my Bible and I, I'm so thankful I had the ministry that I sat under his ministry of teaching me theology and the book of Acts and all kinds of Bible geography and all kinds of things that, you know, not too many people lining up at the college doors to, to, to study today, but it's worth it. It really is. Abounding love. Abounding love, when it gets a hold of us in our heart, will revolutionize the way we see other people. And that's where the right relationship, when you love God, you'll love others in the right way. And if you mix that up and you want to love others, like a, just a humanitarian effort or whatever, it really will fall short. You'll never have that true sacrificial kind of love uh, that you wouldn't, won't experience it the way the Lord does. And I think of that because um, instead of seeing the driver that just cut you off and then, you know, you'll say, well, you know what? I'm going to pray for that person. They're obviously in a hurry and, and there's something wrong, you know, probably. Maybe they're just in a hurry. Maybe they've had a bad day, you know. There are, there are those things that happen. I, I remember years ago, uh, I worked with somebody and that person was kind of cranky, you know. And it would bug me. It would get on my case. And she said something to me one day, and I just kind of unloaded on her. And then all of a sudden she cried. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> I'm in the workplace and everything. And I'm thinking, I just made someone cry, and I, I apologized for what I said. But then I found out she unloaded on me about all the things going on in her life. And I realized why she was cranky. <laughs> all kinds of things going on. Sometimes we don't realize somebody's having a bad day. And uh, uh, we just... Even if they're having a good day, it might be still a good day in their world is a, is a bad day in my world. You know what I mean? Some people are amazing with the, the burdens that they bear that I don't even realize. All right, move on here. Abounding love. Growing knowledge. He says this back to our text. If I can get there. He says, and uh, still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. The knowledge, um, is, it's really the idea of knowledge of God and knowing more about Him, studying Him. I, I think it's very important. Now, tomorrow night we have opportunity, Lord willing, to have that group from MBBI here. And uh, I still would encourage any young person or anybody able. I mean, Vinny and Karen, you went off to Bible school and you weren't exactly, you know, in your, you weren't right out of high school, were you? You were in your 30s when you went, I think. 40s okay well i gave you you know some youthfulness and all that you guys have stayed young but you know what if you have opportunity to spend some time formal time studying the word of god you'll not be disappointed it doesn't mean you have to go off to school the night the nice thing today is there there are more opportunities to study the word of god and do so in the comfort of your own home or wherever than ever before you can go right on and take online classes. You can take free online classes in some institutions. And they're very low cost. Uh, and there's really not much of an excuse today to just sit back and say, I don't need to learn anymore. Uh, I think we always need to be learning. We, we do. And from a variety of sources sometimes as well, as long as they're good sources, right? <clears throat> Growing knowledge. And you've heard the phrase, well, love is blind. Well, <laughs> Christian love shouldn't be blind, okay? It should be a love that is coupled with the knowledge of who God is and the confidence of who He is, but also that leads to discernment. 
Discernment is that way to make choices that are good choices, right? And we probably have a world that is, is just totally upside down there. And Christians, unfortunately, they make very poor choices just because sometimes out of lack of understanding and lack of knowledge. Uh, I could go on and on about conversations I've had with people, people over the years that have made very poor so-called spiritual decisions and then I share a very simple Bible passage with them or something like that and they go, oh, I never knew that. I'm like, you should have. You know, it's, a very, it's right there. And you went and did this major life-changing you know, decision and you didn't even consult somebody. You might have gone and consulted somebody that didn't even care if they, it was from the Bible. We like bad advice when we're doing bad things. And there's lots of that out there. But discernment is part of that. And it goes with it. There needs to be an abounding love, a growing knowledge, and an increasing kind of discernment. And we go to verse 10. He says this, that you may approve the things that are excellent. Um, the living... New Living Translation. I like what that one has. Let me go find that one. I've got it here somewhere in the background. I think it's right here. It says, For I want you to understand what really matters. I like the way that's translated. Because that's kind of how it, re- it is. It's how it reads in the Greek. So that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. And... Really, that's why we pray. We pray that we might have an overflowing heart of love that's coupled with the knowledge of God, but that has discernment. And you say, why? Because we need to know what's really important and not chase off after everything that isn't. Remember Paul warned Timothy about you know people who... Uh, go with every wind of doctrine that comes along those kind of things and we need discernment in this world because it's a confusing world and you know you have the terms like fake news and somebody says well what how do we know what's real anymore well you aren't going to get it from the news channels i don't care who you watch (laughs) whatever there's but you will get it if you go from a biblical worldview and look out and you should be able to discern truth and you shouldn't be able to just sit back and have it fed to you. That's what our biggest problem today in society is, is that we really don't care. And somebody says, I like this channel. I like that channel. I like this. And you know what? If that's the way you approach it and you don't go beyond it, you won't have the discernment to look out and say what's really going on. What's really important? Is it really, really important that we do this or that? Whatever. I'm not just I'm not speaking in politics here. I'm just saying that's a big thing. For the Christian, it should be a... An area that we, we would lead on. And we'd say, well, this, is this going to make us a more godly nation or a godly person? Because that's what this is. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. And, and live in righteousness is really the, the part of that. That new living trace. That you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. Uh, I was in a meeting last night in Fort Kent. Uh, and I was there on Monday in Fort Kent too, but I was in a different meeting last night and with some guys that are not believers. And one guy named a, a, a pastor who I hadn't heard the name for years uh, down in Bangor. 
that happened, you know, somebody in the 1980s that, that did some damage down there with his testimony and everything else. And, and this guy used it on occasion last night to just kind of make fun of Christians. Uh, I don't think that was his intention necessarily, but it's really, really the way it comes out. And I thought, there's a man that back now 30 some odd years ago really messed up some bad things. And, and because of that, there's a guy in Fort Kent that is offended. And I thought, wow. And I'm not blaming him because that's the way he saw Christians. All right? Now, he and I have talked, and he wasn't directing it towards me. It just came out. It was funny. It was in a different kind of conversation. I thought of that. I thought, I thought, what is my testimony here, you know, or in the future? The decision that I make today to live pure or not live pure may affect somebody decades down the, uh, the road who's now, this gentleman is, I don't think, he's on the last part of his life, not the beginning part, you know, in, in just age terms. Will he come to Christ? Don't know. I want to be somebody that lives blameless so that they don't look at me and say, well, you know, I'd look into that, but, but that Jack Karen, but that Alan Morno, right? But that, I won't name all of you, but I'm saying those are things that we, we should be concerned. It doesn't mean we walk perfect in this world, but blameless. That's not just for pastors. That's for everybody. And we, unfortunately, give the world a lot of ammunition sometimes to, to shoot back at Christ. And it's not him. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Increasing discernment is needed. What's really, really important. I remember uh, when I was a little kid, we had a brook that ran down by uh, the lake. There was, a, there was a place, there was a brook, and a couple of us were playing around in the brook looking for crayfish one day, and we found this shiny rock. And it had all kinds of gold color in it. And we thought, this is it. We hit the mother load. And we, uh, I, I grabbed that rock, I ran home, and I, I was all excited because I discovered gold. And I showed that to my dad, and my dad's a wiser man. <laughs> he looked at that and he said, that's iron pyrite. And I said, iron pyrite? Boy, that sounds even better, you know? And then he said, it's fool's gold. I said, fool's gold? And he explained what fool's gold was. It's, it looks like gold on the surface, and you know, it's got this crystal you know, gold flecks of, of uh, iron pyrite is what it is. And you, you think, wow, I mean, this must be gold ore. But it isn't, and it isn't worth a whole lot, okay? Just a novelty item in some store if you want to buy it. But it's certainly not the value of gold. And for someone mining for gold... Imagine, you know, you spend countless hours digging up iron pyrite and you get a whole load of it and you bring it in and you give it and you say, here I am, I'm a rich man now. And the guy says, I'm sorry, but you've played the fool. And that's happened a lot over the years and that's why they call it fool's gold. And the, the thing is that we come sometimes to Christianity and our faith and we do the same thing. We look at this shiny thing. We go, oh, I need that. That's going to make me better. And it's going to enrich my spiritual experience. And, and we jump on that new shiny thing, whatever it be, some method, some preacher, some book, whatever it is, and we run with it. And it's not good stuff. Now, there's a lot of good stuff out there, but it's not good. It might be packaged real good, 
But then we turn around and make some very poor decisions. Be careful about that. Stick to the Bible. Stick to the Bible. This book will not lead you astray, okay? There are three results. I'll go through these quickly. The three results is this. A blameless life, okay? And he says uh, that you may be sincere and without offense, without blame, till the day of Christ. And we need that. Um, If we don't have a blameless life, then uh, you are going to... Well, somebody's going to discover it. That's the truth. You see, a Christian should be the same person in the darkness as they are in the light. They should be the same person when the bankers they're looking at your account as when you're, you know, somebody is next to you and they they think you're somebody that you're not or whatever. It should be the same kind of thing. You should be able to look people in the eye on that. It should be the same on the job or at school or in church or in the, around the family table. And it, the word blameless actually means to be free of scandal. And so that's why I say uh, it doesn't necessarily imply that you are perfect. It implies that you're free of scandal. And we have a lot of scandals out there. And this world's just looking for the next one and throw somebody under the bus. Don't let it be you, okay? A fruitful life. We need to have fruit. Look at verse 11. He says this, Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, the fruits of righteousness. And you say, what are the fruits of righteousness? Well, they're listed for us in Scripture, right? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, goodness, temperance, meekness. You go right down through that list, right? And, and I, there's no law, as Paul says in the book of Galatians, in regards to the fruits of the Spirit. You, you don't make a law that enforces love. Love is a fruit that comes out of a life that's changed. You might make a law that mandates that you don't hate, right? But you can't make a law in the positive. And only Christ can do that. Only the Spirit of God can truly give us fruits of righteousness. I think it also implies the, the things that we impact and we, you know, touch. Uh, it really, you know, it's, it's amazing in that. Uh, I was listening to um, a prayer meeting this morning. One of the guys was sharing about his time in the military and a time when he was living in Germany and there was a guy that was working underneath him that um, had done something wrong and he had to investigate him. And he had a choice to give the guy uh, Article 15 or Article 32 out. You know, he's going to get kicked out of the military or whatever. And the guy, when he approached him, the guy had just become a Christian. And the guy wasn't because he was caught him. He knew that there had been a conversion. And he said, he said, uh, the guy admitted it. And he said, yeah, I did that. I was wrong. And I can't lie about it now. And I was wrong. Because of that, that impacted, impacted him enough that he remembered that. He, he himself was not a Christian at that time. But later on became a Christian. And he remembered back to the time where he met an honest guy that had been changed. He had done something dishonest when he was before he was saved, but di- lived differently afterwards. We're, we're really being examined, okay, and how we deal with that. A fruitful life. And then lastly, uh, I like this a theodoxic life, because it's a, a life that is centered in God and praise of God. 
And that's the last part of this. It says, to the glory and praise of God. And, and that's what it is. It's, when God answers prayer, we can say, praise God, right? And even when he says no, we can say, praise God. Uh, there are things I have done in my life that I have gone or tried to pursue and say, the Lord, I think this is all in your will. I think I could do this. I don't see any reason I shouldn't. And then I pray about it. And he says, no. I don't always like that, but I have to go back and say, thank you. There must be a reason, Lord. And in hindsight, many times I do see the reason, but not always right then. And I could point to various times where, um, definitely in my own life, where I've seen that happen. And we need to praise him and be ready to praise him in, you know, in an instant, if, if necessary. And uh, the theodoxic life, he says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, and to the glory and praise of God. Ultimately, that's the chief end of man, right? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And really, that is what we're doing beginning now. And I'm thankful for that let's pray father we are grateful for the word of god we're thankful for this prayer that was recorded not just for vain words being said but lord for our instruction and for the the fact that we ourselves tonight could pray this prayer and pray something very similar to this and lord it would do us well to have more love to have more knowledge of Christ, to be more discerning, and to have those fruits of righteousness, which are only by Jesus Christ. And ultimately, it's for your glory. And we thank you for that. And we give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.